0: Good morning. I'm Aya Wimala, and it's Sunday, December the 5th. On the weather app, it says that we're having snow here, but instead it's actually rainy and gray. And uh, there's a big Santa run that goes right down my street that uh, usually starts in the little downtown here in Crystal Lake, and they have a Santa run and different organizations uh, share the money for their nonprofits. And uh, I don't know, the Santas are gonna be kind of miserable today. So it's not a great day for a Santa run, but it's, uh, it's a good day that we're all here. So I did, before we sit, I wanted to read a little bit more from Wisdom is Bliss. There are so many interesting parts. So I may not even be able to find a part to land on. Good chapter, this is part of the mindfulness of realistic speech. The chapter on realistic speech. And he begins, he actually begins the almost discussing of the Eightfold Path uh, beginning with realistic speech. So that's a little bit different than the way we approach it, but certainly makes good sense, right? So rather than right view and right intention, as the beginning, and as again, as we circle around, he's starting with realistic speech, Robert Thurman. So let's see how he talks about it. I'll read a little bit from realistic speech. I like the word realistic. Uh, We... We talk about right speech, and that's always a word that seems, uh, right is probably not the best translation. So his translation is realistic speech. And we often can talk about, we talk about appropriate or, uh, different words, but realistic sounds good. So this is, Realistic Speech, and I'm just going to read a few pages of this chapter. It has some good sections. The first two branches of the Eightfold Path, Realistic Worldview and Realistic Motivation. That's, we often will call it, right understanding or right thought and uh, right intention or right motivation. So he calls the first two Realistic Worldview and Realistic Motivation. Constitute the higher education in wisdom. This is a scientific exploration of reality as we experience it, and we transform our, our experience by understanding it. To activate the third branch of the path, we move from the super-education in wisdom to the super- education in ethics, which requires us to learn more about how ethics connects to evolution. First of all, we have to acknowledge the evolutionary power of speech, words, and language in order to use them to reshape our lives along with others. The three path branches constituting the super-education and ethics are realistic speech, one, two, realistic evolutionary action, and three, realistic livelihood. Why begin with realistic speech? Because good evolutionary actions begin with learning. The realization that act, actions are evolutionary and their causal impact on oneself and others mandates one choice of livelihood. Ultimately, all branches of the past must function simultaneously. Their order of presentation emphasizes a best sequence of approach, but they are not rungs on a ladder where you step off one to get onto another. They are rather like a symphony. You add one instrument at a time until all are playing harmoniously together, and each one comes into its fullest power, only when combined with all the others." Isn't that a beautiful way to describe the Eightfold Path? Next section is scientists, politicians, artists, and educators. In many discourses, the Buddha describes realistic speech as speaking the truth and avoiding falsehoods, speaking diplomatically, reconciling others' disagreements, and refraining from diversive speech, slander, and backbiting. Speaking sweetly and pleasingly, avoiding abusive speech, and speaking meaningfully, avoiding senseless chatter. None of these four types of realistic speech is fanatical, since one should not use truth to cause harm in certain situations, should not be should not be diplomatic unless it will help the others involved, should not flatter people who are in error or misbehaving just to please them, and should at least withhold meaningful speech in a situation where you know someone will misunderstand. As in all things, pragmatism is essential. I love that paragraph for... uh, Pretty complete way of explaining right speech. Speaking truth is what scientists are dedicated to doing. They investigate reality and must try to report on what they find, or at least what they consider the truth. Speaking diplomatically is a focus of peacemakers, those who seek to help others improve their relations with each other serving humanity in that way. Speaking pleasingly is generally good for one's own relations with others. And the sweetest speeches are the creations of artists, poets, playwrights, novelists, musicians, bards, and singers. Speaking meaningfully is best for everyone to do, and especially the responsibility of educators those who help others become more realistic by sharing reality, dharma, with them, insofar as they have some deeper experience and knowledge of it to share. Speech Creating Connection Speech is a particularly human deep way of interconnecting with the minds of others. When you talk and I listen, I open my mind to yours letting your thoughts direct my attention. When I talk and you listen, you do the same for me. When we read the recorded speech of people from the past, we share their minds. And when future generations read our thoughts, we share with them. Thus, each of us has a responsibility to be wakeful of what effects we are producing in others' minds when we speak and when we listen. We also have the opportunity to enter into others' experiences of things we cannot experience ourselves. Speech should be only truthful. It should be only peacemaking. It should be only gentle. And it should be only meaningful. Babbling meaninglessly or harshly or untruthfully or to make people enemies with each other Those kinds of speech are really negative actions. When you listen to someone, they have the privilege of being in your mind temporarily, and they should not abuse that privilege by talking rot. They should try to help your mind. When you speak, you shouldn't invade other people's minds or speak a bunch of nonsense and rot with lies to them, and distress them even more than they've already been distressed. Speech enables us to learn and thereby to evolve, to grow into wiser, more experienced, more realistic, more capable, and happier beings. That's an important sentence, isn't it? Speech enables us to learn and thereby to evolve. To grow into wiser, more experienced, more realistic, more capable and happier beings. Learning new things may even be the essential purpose of all living beings, essential to the quest for true happiness in any one life and along the range of limitless ongoing lives. Human beings, angels, titans, and gods are distinguished by speech. We humans live and evolve in speech, not only physically and mentally in body and mind, but spiritually and ethically. Speech has a central role in shaping reality, body being shaped by mind and mind by speech. Through speech, we individual humans can expand our self-identifications To become communal beings without necessarily losing a sense of individual responsibility. As the great Sangkhapa said in his Enlightenment poem, The Short Essence of Good Eloquence, of all the Buddha's many deeds, their deeds of speech are the supreme. For this very reason, the wise applaud the Buddhas for their speech. Words shape our thoughts. In the most high-tech, advanced, esoteric ways, speech actually controls how we shape our bodies and minds. Speech, at its most poetic and powerful, becomes mantra when it liberates the mind. Vajradhara, Vajradhara I can't pronounce the way he's saying it's Vajrayana Buddha Vajradhara Buddha made this famous statement in the esoteric community tantra you should create your mind with your body form and your body with your mind form and shape your mind's form with your inner with your inner formulation of your words Following that principle, we use words to shape our thoughts and our thoughts to shape the physical instruments of our experience. It is thus no wonder that the super-education in ethics begins with the cultivation of wakeful, realistic speech. Speech is, of course, the place where we transcend isolated individuality and live in community with others as words are shared between minds and meanings are shared between cultures. To emphasize, when we listen, we open to others' minds. When we speak, we are admitted into others' minds. Speech exists inside us, outside us, in between, inside and outside, and beyond all such dualities. This shared community is not a new condition of Westerners. In the noble teaching of Vimalakirti Sutra, when Shariputra, the ancient Indian saint, and foremost, we call him uh, Sariputta in Pali, and foremost individual vehicle, disciple of the Buddha, is asked by the wisdom goddess to tell her how long he has been and what he thinks is his privately attained, nirvana state. He doesn't answer. He keeps silent. She asks him, "Why, venerable elder? Why, venerable elder? You are foremost of the wise. Why do you not speak? Now, when it is your turn, you do not answer the question." Sariputta says, "Since nirvana is inexpressible, goddess, I do not know what to say." She then rejects the usefulness of that silence, in this case, by saying, respectfully but firmly, Venerable Shariputra. All the syllables pronounced by the elder have the nature of nirvana. Why? Nirvana is neither internal nor external, nor can it be apprehended apart from them, Likewise, syllables are neither internal nor external, nor can they be apprehended anywhere else. Therefore, Venerable Shariputra, do not point to Nirvana by abandoning speech. Why? The holy Nirvana is the equality of all things. This is why reali- realistic speech, the beginning of the super-education in ethics, is actually the guiding energy of all education in non-duality, which also transcends the duality between the pair, duality and non-duality, not by, the, not by merely avoiding duality through a dualistic silence. <clears throat> and then I'll read run, one last section on speech. Speech as essential to learning, the mainspring of wakeful ethics. One reason why many Western teachers and practitioners of Buddhism shy away from understanding the three super educations in ethics, mind and wisdom that constitute the Dharma in practice, referring to them as the three trainings is that we've all been educated a lot already. Oh, okay, I, I was not understanding that right at first. Many of us have gone through eight years of primary, four of secondary, four of higher, and three to seven of professional education, and yet we're still anxious, insecure, volatile, and often depressed. Our education in Euro-American culture has not solved our problems of suffering. But that is not the fault of education and the speech it depends on. It is the fault that we have yet to become properly educated to use speech to transform our minds. The educational speech of our materialistic culture is too unrealistic it discourages us from understanding, persuades, them, persuades us that we cannot understand, indoctrinates us and traps us in absolutisms and nihilisms. We have to become more self-aware and critically minded, and we will therefore easily see that ours is still a backward culture in some respects. Our worldview puts us in the awkward position of seeking knowledge of a material universe, a frighteningly infinite mass of quantities, the knowing of which involves counting and measuring them, which is obviously an endless effort and therefore a hopeless prospect. We are told that true wisdom is impossible, and so it is presented to us as tantamount to resigning ourselves, to our inability to understand what we really are, what life is, and how we should live. So we have no alternative but to fit in with whatever orders we happen to fall under. And this is supposed to be okay, since it all doesn't really matter. It all comes to nothing at the end of the day. No wonder we become depressed since in our heart of hearts we sense that it does matter, that everything matters, and that there is more to it than just giving up the quest. Luckily, there are enlightened beings, Buddhas, awakened to reality and blossomed into meaningful abilities to help, whether Buddhist or whatever else. The enlightened speech of such Buddhas is realistic, It is scientific speech which can often verge on the poetic. Aware of its limitations, since reality is ultimately inexpressible, it is also aware of its effectiveness in generating the experience of the inexpressible, which leads to positive transformation, frees us from negative conditioning and opens our way beyond our assumed limitations. All super educations rely on speech to direct the mind. That's a beautiful section on speech, isn't it? Remember when he talks about super education, he's talking about that uh, that's very uh, spiritual component that that the eightfold path becomes. It can become just a regular education at first, but then it then as we continue to work with it, it becomes what we call supra mundane, and he's calling super education. So it's it's a very understandable way of putting it. So the eightfold path has a very uh, practical, uh, everyday sense of helping us understand. How to live, but then it helps us go beyond that to a more spiritual way to live, and that's what he's calling the super super path, the super education. So uh, this is wonderful for right speech. Hopefully, when we're talking about the precepts and uh, uh, that that can we can include a lot of this in those discussions. So now we still have time together. Uh, we we have about ten minutes, so we can sit together. And you can, if you like, you can have those thoughts and ideas about right speech be uh, part of your part of what's been coming into your senses now for the last fifteen minutes. So, in being mindful, you can just allow that to be kind of getting itself situated in your mind. Uh, Not to think about it analytically, but just to have a sense of it and not lose it, not lose the thoughts and the ideas. So just find that comfortable posture that allows you to feel lifted up, whether you're lying on the floor or in bed or in a chair or standing or walking, you can feel uh, stretching your spine out more, letting it be lifted. And depending on your situation with your spine, you know, some of us have issues with our spines. We, we, we know how we can work with them, hopefully, how, how much we can stretch them out and lift them up. Doing that not only aligns everything but it also opens up our chest for our lungs to breathe. We can even let our shoulders feel them kind of roll back a little bit. And then when we allow ourselves to just breathe and just observe the body breathing, then the the natural breath just fills our lungs more, We want that oxygen to get all through our lungs, but we're not focusing on taking deep breaths now. We're just making sure we have that space for our lungs to to take it in, take that oxygen in all the way down. Just be aware of the body breathing. Be grateful for the body breathing for you. We can be grateful for our own health, feel compassion at the same time for those who are suffering with their breathing. just allowing the body and the mind to become calm. Allow everything you are coming in contact with and with your thoughts, what you can hear, how your body feels at making contact with the earth or your chair or how how your clothes feel on your body, how the cool air or the warm air feels on your skin. See all of that as just rising and falling. The thoughts you have see how they rise and they fall away if we just allow them to come and go. Our breath rises and falls. You can come back to your breath as an anchor. Just allow everything in you to just come, arise, and then just let it go. Things, feelings may arise, emotional states may arise. And you may want to investigate those. Accept that they're there. We all, we all deal with emotions. And it's so much better to work with them rather than to repress them. So when those emotions arise, we recognize them, accept them, and then just investigate. Don't start trying to think of how to get rid of them or fix something. Just see if you can investigate. Just look. Pay attention. It's like that speech. How speech invites us into someone else's mind and when someone speaks to us, we've allowed them into our minds. So we want to investigate these own, these emotions within us. Just be curious about them. Try to see them from different angles and from all angles, not just one approach you may have landed on. And We can't stay with these difficult emotions all the time so we can work with them, investigate them. Then remember they are not who we are. So we can come back to a nurturing place and allow them to move on for now. This is a way we can work with these deeper Deep-seated things that we carry around with us, little bits at a time, little pieces at a time. My time with you is up, but if you can keep sitting, please keep sitting. Just enjoy that feeling of being at peace with yourself, at peace within yourself. So may everything we do and say and think today be done for our own benefits, and also for all other living beings. And think about speech. Think about realistic speech. So have a beautiful day. May you all be well and happy and peaceful. I'll be back on Tuesday. Have a beautiful day.